0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.
1: Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Welcome to All Possibilities. I'm your host, Julie Chan. And I am here today to do a mini intuitive reading for Margot Putnam-Delaney. She is a uh, consultant for startups in New York City. And uh, Margo, it's a pleasure to have you here today. It's a pleasure to be
2: here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's start with having you share with us who you are and what you do and why you agreed to be on our
2: show today. Yeah, I think especially in the context of this show, identifying who I am gets a little bit more hairy (laughs) Um, in terms of as a professional, most of my experience has been in financial tech. But for the decade prior to that, and I mean starting when I was eight years old, I was committed to being an archaeologist. So I studied um, underwater archaeology, uh, focusing on the Eastern Mediterranean, and uh, then got interested in the trade of antiquities and cultural heritage law. And that led to a pre-law minor um, in my undergraduate, and... In order to fill that minor, I got an internship at a large uh, financial tech corporation because ultimately, antiquities art law is transactional, and that's the same with finance and corporate law. And when I was at that corporation, I found a team and a place that I hadn't really before. I'd never quite bonded that same way on digs. And I saw this as an opportunity that was sort of um, a time out of time in my life. And I kept at the internship and it turned into a full-time job. And um, that sort of got me immersed in the tech scene in New York City. And I started to balance what my passions were with what the lifestyle I wanted and the kind of people I want to be working with. So from there, I found my way into the startup scene. And that was my five to nine, as people put it around here. And then when the five to nine started to become four to 10, and then three to 10, I left my job and started um, immersing myself in the startup scene full time.
1: And what do you do specifically for startups?
2: So for startups, it varies. I have that background in, um, financial tech, specifically payments processing, which is a very dense field. Uh, it is rather opaque and complex, which might be why the academic in me enjoyed it for as long as I did (laughs) trying to figure it out. And so I help startups, uh, try to work their way through that system and find the um, ideal payments processor or solution and also educate them as to credit card schemes because it's a largely self-regulated industry. And then uh, with companies like the Mouth Media Network to uh, do full disclosure, uh, I'm helping them work on a networking relationship management strategy and a database to go along with that, helping them sort of make the most out of their contacts in a much more personal way than traditional B2B um, customer relationship management uh, can.
1: So your background in archaeology and fintech and consulting, yeah, uh, many of our listeners have very uh different facets about themselves that may or may not be known or seen depending on where they are. What do do you see a thread between your approach to archaeology
2: and what you're doing now? Absolutely. And actually doing this now helped me shed a lot of light on why I liked practicing archaeology, because it was something I was committed to since I was a small child. I grew with it and never really analyzed what I was doing or, or the why of it. Looking back on it now, the commonalities are, um, well, a love of data and sort of study, but it's really study of people. And that's how I view it. Archaeologists use objects to figure out how people lived. Uh, And that's really their end goal. They are anthropologists at heart. And a lot of what I do working on a network relationship management tool is figuring out what makes people tick and how to get that to them is really the goal of Mouth Media Network. Um, But for me, it's coming up with lots of different testing, turning people into data points, and then trying to find something personal inside of that data.
1: Mm. I'm always curious to know if, you know, a civilization thousands of years in the future finds what (laughs) we're working on, (laughs) you know, like things in our office or, um, what,
2: what would they make of it? Like what conclusions would they draw about us? Well, it's really hard because if they find the mouth media office, especially as it's set up now with the mixing table and the mics, um, but they don't find the, you know, 10 other developers' offices that are actually in the building, they're going to have a really skewed data set, but they don't know that. Um, And that's the hardest part. I feel like the best thing that we can do if you really want to uh, make it easier for archaeologists in the future is write a diary, and I've always felt very guilty that I'm awful about keeping one. (laughs) Write a diary, put it in a safety deposit box, make sure it's there for all time. (laughs) Mm. So
1: let's shift gears and talk about spirituality. What experiences have you had personally
2: that Mm. you can share with us? Absolutely. So for me, spirituality, um, it took me a long time to divorce it from religion. I was raised by a very devout father, a Catholic, but also very open-minded. So we went to church every week, but my mother uh, was, I guess, more the one driving the open-mindedness. They would go to Buddhist temple on Saturdays, starting when I was about a preteen. She also participated in a few Wiccan summer solstice festivals with our neighbors down the street. And so there was this Acceptance of different takes on ethics and morality wrapped up in different sort of versions of God was how I kind of uh, put it together in my head. But my real experience and where I found my own spirituality was doing the Camino Santiago de Compostela when I was 21. So almost four years ago to the day uh, I started that.
1: I love the Camino have not been on it and is uh, a dream of mine to uh, to train. I mean you kind of you have to physically train for it right I
2: did not <laughs> I did not um I certainly paid for it, but that's one of those things is the Camino will always be at your own pace, so you can train and maybe that allows you. Cause you'll be going faster. You can take longer routes each day and see or more complex routes and see more of the countryside. But for me, I was okay waking up an hour earlier than everyone else that so could still get to the next town and the next albergue, which are hospitals for pilgrims mm-hmm. in time, um, to get one of the beds, uh, cause I knew I was slower, But the first couple of days that I did it, I made the mistake of trying to walk with someone. Mm. And that was quite foolish because she ended up really frustrated with me and I ended up frustrated with her because everything from our walking pace to our biorhythms was different. When I wanted to break for a snack was different from when she wanted to. And it is a physically taxing thing, no matter how you slice it. And that's part of why I think it opens so many people up uh, spiritually. It's one of the factors. Uh, If anyone listening has ever had hypothermia or sunstroke, they know that that extreme of physical duress makes them much more emotional. You're likely to cry. You're likely to react to things. But what it really does is it brings your emotions to the forefront. So once you've set up that premise of your emotions are right there and accessible and then you put people in the middle of a community because even though you're walking every day you all have this in common Um, and so there's, there's no judgment and there's already something to bond over. And then you also add in the fact that they're divorced from their everyday lives. Most people that I met and, and it might have been, you know, something about me attracted them were widowers who, one man who I still keep in touch with, um, lost his wife and retired in the same year and was just trying to figure out a new way of going on. Another woman um, who I met up with several nights in a row, because again, we didn't walk together. Uh, her last child had just gone off to college. And so she was sort of not home alone because she still had her husband, but it was a very different dynamic and she needed some time to reassess, I guess, who she was. And you see that a lot. Um, Two of the most inspirational people I met had just finished, they were two boys from Massachusetts who just finished their first year of, uh, at UPenn and they knew that they'd screwed up a lot that it was super stressful and that they were sort of overwhelmed and so they took a month to go do this which I just thought was incredibly impressive I wish I'd had that perspective when I was 19 because when I was 19 I still secretly wanted to do the Camino but hadn't told anyone about it yet
1: Mm. (sighs) tell us what specifically happened on the Camino that kind of opened up maybe a place of transformation or or kind of a spiritual insight that you couldn't have expected
2: so there wasn't um a strict moment of epiphany the specific thing that happened was walking every day for 10 hours a day because even if you have an iPod on and you're listening to music you don't really listen to music. You are just left alone with your thoughts uh, for so long that it's an incredibly intense time of introspection. And then, again, referencing that community that you're with, you end up sharing it with people. So I shared these thoughts that I was having um, that I'd sort of had before uh, with strangers so, things I'd known about myself for a long time that I had never shared with my best friends of years, I was sharing with strangers, and that was a sense of safety. It allowed me to voice it, and I think that's sort of where you start confronting
1: yeah and it it creates that space of you, you might not see these people <laughs> you know yeah. ever again and and yet they're their this human
2: connection. There's an incredible intimacy and yeah. fondness that I have for these people that I really regret it now. Um, but at the time I told myself as my way of sort of feeling like this was a safe space, that I wouldn't take anyone's contact information. Mm. Now there were two people that I did. Um, but there's three people out there that I think about probably I would say at least once a month now that I We'll never know how to find mm-hmm. um which i guess could be a good or a bad thing because they exist in this kind of perfect state for me
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> well the universe is very complex and you never know yes so let's take a break and mm-hmm. when we come back i will share the mini intuitive reading that i've already done with you and um We'll see how this plays out in your life, and I'm um, really looking forward to that conversation.
2: Me too. We'll be
1: right <laughs> back. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at all possible show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com.
0: Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... <sighs> Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. and I'll talk and with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train.
2: You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up, and it felt like you were working so hard.
0: Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable, and so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this.
1: Back with Margot Putnam Delaney, and we are going to dive right into the mini intuitive reading that we um, that I've already done for her. It's in my phone. And um, how this works is that I meditated on your name and your email address beforehand, which was okay. all I had. And then Thank I, God it was
2: this email address and not my old one. <laughs> I An don't ancient think it matters. Greek freak for at <laughs> yahoo.com for about a decade. <laughs>
1: I don't think it would have made a difference, but actually that could be a fun test. <laughs> we could try <laughs> what what other information comes out. Um, and And then I receive words. So I'm fully conscious at my laptop or phone and I'm just typing. It's like dictation. And I then might hear, okay, it's time for an image because an image is worth a thousand words. And I'll see... I'll see images in my mind's eye. Usually it's in a metaphor because metaphors can just convey so much nuance. And then I'm back to typing. So um, for everyone, I also get an action step. So this is just some a point of reflection, something for you to play with. And um, the information that I receive is based off of kind of given everything that's going on with your life right now, what is the one thing that I can share with you that can help you align with who you are on Mm -hmm. a soul level and that can just help you give you perspective, kind of um, move you forward in the way that you want to move forward. So everything is written in third person. So it refers to you as Margot, she, her, those pronouns and refers to me as you because I'm the one seeing all of this. Okay. And then every so often, there are words that are in all caps, so capitalized, and that just means that they're emphasized or just more important for you to look at. Um, There aren't too many of them here. Um, And how I will indicate that to you is I will use my visual signal here by putting my fingers up like this. And for the audience, I will say... Um, all caps after those particular words. Okay. Okay. And as you listen to it, just allow yourself to follow the imagery, um, see what uh, bubbles up in your mind. You might feel things, you might um, see images uh, because we all have intuitive senses. And um, afterwards I will ask you, how does this resonate, if at all, and what does it bring up for you? So thoughts, stories, memories, Ideas, whatever bubbles up for you. Absolutely. Okay. So for you, I asked, what is the highest guidance for her at this time? And it says, it is like blueberries when the summer sweetness is ripe and yet fragile. These blueberries hang on the green leafy branches, as if balancing in a time of purity and sunshine. It is right before the moment when they get picked and then endure a process of being processed and prepared for our consumption, like juicing or blending. It is that moment of sweetness that she holds on to, and in fact seems to dread the process that comes afterwards. Like she would rather do everything in her power to remember and stay on the branch before being changed and transformed in unknown and maybe overly changing ways when she might not even recognize herself. There is a sense of retaining identity, all caps, that makes that picture so poignant. Then the image that I saw is a continuation of this metaphor. It says, you saw the blueberries on a beautiful summer day, someone picked them and placed them in a metal pail with all the other blueberries. It felt like they were all in this together. And then they were taken to a processing plant where they were smushed and juiced against sterile metal machinery. The resulting juice was still blueberry, but in a different form as if trying to hold on to a fading memory of something beautiful and sweet. And so the action step, and so something for you to play with and explore, is to reflect on what beautiful memory she is trying to hold on to, even though her form or identity has shifted. Know that it is okay to keep that on her mind. It is a presence that lingers and makes each moment sweet. Hmm. And so that's the end of the mini reading. I'd love to hear how this resonates and what it brings up for you. So stories, thoughts, memories, emotions,
2: whatever bubbles up for you. Yeah. Um, It actually resonates quite a lot with something I've been reflecting on for the past two weeks Really, though I guess more, it's been the last four months. Uh, I already mentioned that I've had a major career shift from a long background in archaeology, where I went so far as to get scholarships starting when I was sixteen to study Homeric Greek in Greece. Then I started taking classes at the University of Gian when I was seventeen. I got my dive master, so I was a professional diver. And worked on my first dig um about a week after I turned eighteen. <laughs> I was really committed uh and then I had my first moment of doubt about a year later when I was diving again, but on vacation with my family and there was this very inappropriate diver. He was not following the rules. He was not being respectful of the nature or the environment. And it made me nervous because as a professional diver, even though I was on vacation, I was legally responsible for his actions. And it kind of ruined something that I'd loved forever. It ruined this activity because all of a sudden there was weight to it. It was work and that really made me start to question, where is that line in between what you love and kind of ruining what you love? Uh, which made me a lot more susceptible uh, when pre- when presented with a sort of fait accompli job after college that was well-paying to just go for it. But I do have this idiosyncratic background uh, for people, for someone in the startup scene in New York or really for anyone, underwater archaeology, not the most popular (laughs) Um, thing. I have this really idiosyncratic background that definitely marks me as different um, to anyone that knows me. Uh, But it's such a strong part of my background, I always wonder if I'm not acknowledging it enough, if I'm not doing enough with it. And that kind of comes back to something for me along those lines of kind of similar to to spirituality this concept of love and passion cuz i could not tell you why i love archaeology or greek mythology i've really tried to reason it out and there is no reason why i should get so happy when someone starts lecturing mm-hmm. on ovid's metamorphoses mm-hmm. <laughs> and and expressions of that in baroque italian art like that just does it for me Uh, And so I've kind of run away from this because if I can't logic it out, then it doesn't feel real and there's a risk of it being unsustainable. So the
1: reading brought up kind of this, uh, it's very meta, (laughs) and um, this notion of hanging on to that beautiful moment of the blueberries are still in, you know, unpicked. And in my mind, all I saw was that. It was just like the sun's just dappling through and the breeze is going through and it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm still growing. And then it goes through, then it's like, the next phase is okay. Post being plucked off (laughs) and being processed by something very sterile and metal and machinery
2: and and, kind of harsh seeming in in juxtaposition mm -hmm. to that nature scene.
1: Yeah. And so what, what does that bring up for you? Like what is
2: the the analog? So I can absolutely see that being a metaphor for where I am right now. I, in addition to consulting, Um, I am looking for a full-time job again, but I'm really happy where I am right now. I have a great personal life, a great home, plenty of time to cook, um, some interesting uh, challenges at work, but committing to what I want to do next, especially with this sort of onus of, of trying to not disregard who I was before, or whether I am kind of shoving that off, which is, you know, adding that question onto it makes it more complicated. Um, but trying to figure out what I want to do next that I kind of, in a weird way, despite I had a moment of sadness for when the blueberry got plucked off and thrown into the pail with all the other blueberries, just Mm -hmm. one anonymous blueberry. At least it didn't have to make a decision. It was there. It was done. Uh, the blueberry was gonna change um and i don't think i've ever had blueberry juice is it good <laughs> maybe you'll like it <laughs> but there's there's something slightly reassuring especially uh when you're dealing with a lot or i i don't know maybe it's just me but i find sometimes the concept of you know what you just have to do this kind of nice because I can throw myself into something as long as there's an opportunity to learn, which is what happened at my last position with my old company. Um, except eight months later, I realized that there was nothing left to learn and I actually wasn't interested in my job. Uh, but for the time being, it's kind of freeing to think of something else coming in and interfering and diverting your course. And you never know whether it's going to be a good thing or not, but you can hope, especially if you've lined up the rest of your life, which, Mm -hmm. you know, being sun ripened and at just the perfect time, it sounds like that blueberry has. Mm
1: -hmm. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll dive a little deeper into the reading and talk more about these blueberries. We'll be right back.
0: If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by mouth media network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems. We offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, Materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. Reach out to the Mouth Media team now at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Let's explore how we can collaborate and make Mouth Media Network a meaningful resource to share your message and grow your business. Again, that's podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com.
1: back, everyone. During the break, Margot shared something very interesting. Margot, why don't you let us in?
2: <laughs> uh, my ironic confession is that blueberries are actually my least favorite fruit. Does that have significance? I don't know, because the next sort of thought I had, registering it directly back to me and my taste, um, was when you mentioned the metal pale i thought of the children's book blueberries for sal which despite its almost monochromatic um color scheme i really enjoyed as a kid i usually went for the really like detailed kind of baroque 12 dancing princesses books but i Mm. liked that one
1: what what (laughs) was the reason why you liked that book
2: I don't know. Maybe it was just the thought of this cute little girl getting to pick and eat all the berries she wanted. I mean, she got in a little bit of trouble, but I don't think my mother ever got a strawberry inside of the house from her garden when I was little. (laughs) (laughs) There's a pretty cute photo of me, one of the few photos of me, because by the time I came along, my parents were kind of done with taking photos and being doting. of me in my sitting in the middle of my mother's garden in this you know flowery day dress with a too big hat on my head and these little ringlet curls because i was like two and a half and i'd snuck outside
1: (laughs) i can imagine that it's always funny to see when someone either loves or like has a favorite type connection Mm. with the metaphor that comes up and when there's some resistance like, Oh, that's actually the least favorite. You don't know why, but like, it's like, Ooh, like why, why did that get picked? Right. And, and that's just something to be explored. I don't think it's a coincidence. Hmm. And if anything, I would focus on the, the beauty of
2: that moment before it was picked, and And I can absolutely picture that. And I think a blueberry bush can make for a much nicer metaphor than, say, strawberries, which have a limited and earlier season and are low to the ground, or blackberries and raspberries, which um, there was a farm near where I grew up where they opened up the fields and you could go and pick for a fee and you had to be over 12 to go pick the blackberries or the raspberries because they have thorns on the bush Mm. and i always wanted to go pick the blackberries and the raspberries and they never let me Mm um because those are actually my favorite as far as berries go uh but that thorniness you know would add an edge to that sun-dappled metaphor and the accessibility of that fruit
1: (laughs) So the reading brought up this notion of retaining identity mm-hmm. that was the part that was in all caps and the idea that even after it was processed that it was in a juice form but that it was still
2: blueberry. I found that particularly interesting because there's any way number of ways in which you can process Fruits, especially blueberries, because blueberry juice is not that common. You know, I feel like it's more common to dry them and throw them in a granola bar or something. Uh, But having its identity still be singularly blueberry, uh, but that it's undergone a radical shift. I mean, it's changed physical states. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But where the metaphor stops is that sense of interaction the way that you described the sun dappled and someone picking it and putting it in a pail there was a real personal a human interaction with that blueberry but you end the metaphor with this sterile machinery and then being transformed into blueberry juice and no sense of its reception we know that it was sweet and sun warmed and plump before, but and we can presume because it was such a good product that the juice is going to be good, but we don't know. We don't know where it was delivered to, who's going to be drinking it, nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah the well the point I see with it is that even when states have transformed, it's still there. It may look completely different. Mm. But it is still inherently itself. And the action step offered up to reflect on where where you see that identity being mm. questioned and to remind yourself that it's it's okay. Yeah to see all of those states and that actually it has been retained it may look completely different but it's still there it's almost like this
2: reassurance interesting actually the pivotal moment for me in that metaphor for the change in identity was rather than feel sort of lost and afraid this one blueberry amongst all these other blueberries that's been picked in the pale and sort of I could picture it being this frightened mass. Uh, It was that it was together with all Mm -hmm. these other blueberries. And then once you process it into a juice, this singular identity is completely gone. It's not a single whole berry. Mm -hmm. Its entire substance is mixed up with all of the other berries that it was happy to be with. There was this sense of community and team. Uh, So if I wanted to extrapolate and sort of, go with it then what i would view that as is the community and the team that i'm part of are is the startup community here in new york mm. i never felt that kind of bond with the archaeologists that i worked with despite having a shared passion and while both communities drink uh, a lot um, I enjoy drinking with the startup community more. Sorry, had to throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, so committing myself and releasing the old identity or or maybe it's not so much releasing identity, but recognizing that it is part of this whole. So thinking more about juice and berries, <laughs> I kind of start thinking about grapes and wine and that complexity of flavor that exists when you throw a bunch of these singular objects in together, turn them into juice and give them time uh, to ferment. Yeah. You create something new. Yeah. And it has complexity of layers and tastes. uh, And it's not a single concept, but a complex one. And so it's not about I guess limiting myself. I should stop abstracting this and saying you and we. (laughs) It's not about limiting or com- or compartmentalizing myself. It's about finding a way to make that flow into this life. Mm.
1: And what might you take away in terms of an
2: action or how you might approach things with this information? I'm not sure yet. So one thing that I've been grappling with for the last few months is writing a white paper on art and the internet and sort of democratization versus accessibility. Because with my love of art and archeology span and museums, I've absolutely kept a careful eye on art startups and I've yet to see one that actually is democratizing art. Yet that's one of the key concepts that we think of when we think of the internet and the digital age, the democratization of information and -hmm. accessibility around the world. So art is absolutely accessible online. It's out there for anyone to see the major museums of the world have created digital collections and, uh, Google Cultural Institute is creating very detailed, immersive 3D tours of exhibitions, though not at the rate I'd like them to. Yet none of the startups seem to be targeting this category. A lot of them, even when they talk about democratization, are really looking for the sophisticated consumer, the person who's going to be buying a piece of art. They might not be educated collectors yet, but they're absolutely going to have college degrees. They're going to have at least six figure incomes, probably. That would be my guess based on their marketing materials. And so no one has answered this question that really bothers me because the thing that I loved about studying history was the idea that we'd find a new story, a new sort of thing of an Agamemnon-like character or a King Mm -hmm. Tut. And you can share that and change the history textbooks and make them more accurate, but also give another story for a kid, even an adult, to connect with and hopefully through history, learn more about themselves or learn more about their culture or stop a future event from happening or find inspiration to make something happen in the future. Mm. So I've been grappling with that white paper. Haven't really gotten very far with it. (laughs) Uh, And what I don't know there is whether I'm trying too hard to hold on to this old thing and drag it into my current life in tech and in startups. Or whether that's the right kind of theme to go on, that there is some way of integration.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Maybe that's not the answer
1: well the final thought i'll leave you with there is that the the sense from the end of the reading was it's okay to keep that image alive yeah and that it's it's not it's not a kind of desperate holding on to or a you know trying to recreate something but it is it's an image and it it can drive you it can inspire you interesting and And that's
2: that. It's just, it's just there. Well, if nothing else, at least it can be halcyon memories to warm myself with on some cold (laughs) December nights working for the end of the quarter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how can our listeners get in touch with
2: you or your work? Listeners are welcome to get in touch with me on LinkedIn at Margot Putnam-Delaney, M-A-R-G-O-T-P-U-T-N-A-M space D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. Uh, or if they would like to send me an email to m.putnamdelaney at com. Just put all possibilities in the subject line and I'll make sure to give it some attention
1: beautiful well Margot thank you so much for for sharing your amazing journey both you know career wise and and the Camino and um, blueberries next time <laughs> we'll bring you blackberries <laughs> and um, It was a pleasure to have you on the show.
2: What's your favorite berry before we go? I love strawberries. Thank you very much for sharing those insights with me. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, To our listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, This makes us all hungry to grab some fruit salad. (laughs) And until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at all possible show episodes are available on itunes google play and our website allpossibilitiesshow.com. show.com this show is produced by mouth media network copyright 2017 all rights reserved no portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers thank you for joining us